0: Caution. Learning in progress. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of Smarter Every Season. You probably get sick of it at this point, but I'm going to say it again. It is the podcast brought to you by the product support team here at Precision planting. If you're new to the podcast, what in the world have you been doing? But still, we're glad to have you. I'm Tyler Hubert. I'm going to be hosting this episode. What we try to do is bring on experts from around the industry, around our dealer network, around our company, and try to selfishly we're kind of trying to educate ourselves here as, as the primary hosting crew, but we're also trying to educate anyone who listens or is willing to listen to us, or as you're probably seeing so far, is is willing to listen to me ramble. But I'm, I'm excited because I do feel like I have a room of experts sans myself here. So don't let's knock yourself down, Tyler. I'm, that's why I'm so short. <laughs> huh? That is the voice of Hans Stutzman. He's a regular contributor, host, voice on voice. the podcast. Might be, might
1: be the right, voice might be the right word for it.
0: But when you put the headset on a little bit ago, you said, I, I can't remember the last time I
1: I don't this. know when the last time is is I've been here. It's you, been a while.
0: You better get ready because in, in not too awful long, we're going to be batting out Spring episodes, yeah, on an every Thursday basis. Yeah, so
1: for you listeners, I'm sorry you have to hear my voice a lot this spring.
0: Well, we'll we'll do this episode and then maybe give him a little break. We'll give him a break for it. Yeah, yeah. Tristan Herman is here. Uh, if you don't know Tristan uh, and are trying to place him, the joke from Winter Conference is that he was part of the Herman brothers. That s- I object to this statement. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I've already offended him. We're a minute and a half in. Um, you and Aaron Herman were Correct. the presenters at Winter Conference. Around, I mean. To say it was a symphony presentation is probably selling it a
2: little bit short. Yeah, we covered a lot of sprayer data yeah. and, and testing that we've done. But yeah, yes. so so Aaron and I kind of grew up together. He's about five years younger than me, grew up in the same area, uh, but we would be second cousins. And so okay. I I object to the statement that we were brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I have a brother. It's not him. And I don't like him, and I don't like Aaron either. <laughs> so. no, I'm just well, you kidding. can hardly
0: <laughs> tell it in the way you two present. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you would be the darker haired of the two, I think. To for for somebody to try and place, which one were you? I don't Aaron have North the President? nice gravelly voice of an Aaron Heard. <laughs> yeah, but, he does uh, have he he I I, have he misses a, he a, misses calling in a rock band. I think sure, Aaron's got sure, yeah, <laughs> he definitely did. Uh, Ken Sauter is here. Ken is a region manager in I'm going to butcher it, Indiana, but Eastern Indiana,
3: yeah, uh, Northern Indiana, Eastern, Western, whatever
0: wherever wherever they need.
3: I'll, I'll go where you got questions.
0: <laughs> Your assistance. Uh, what's new in Indiana, Ken?
3: Oh, I'll tell you what. We've had a great run here in January. Planter clinics are in full swing, uh, beating with growers, uh, running a lot of great questions, conversations on agronomy and uh, how to improve operations. So it's it's a great time of the year to be involved with precision.
0: Good deal. Good deal. We're happy to have you back. We had John. I don't remember if that was a year ago. I think it was a little over a year when we're talking yield sense. You're a... Uh, A man of many, many talents and industry-wide knowledge, so we're glad to have you back. Wears many hats. That's right.
3: We just share all the mistakes we've learned from.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've made a bunch of them. some we haven't learned from. (laughs) (laughs) Some others have learned from, or some others have done. So, gentlemen, here is the goal for today. Um, About six months ago, our podcast team ran a survey with our dealers. Actually, it was a giveaway. We gave away a cooler, and we asked for feedback Around what do you want to hear? What would add value to your dealership to hear on a podcast? Uh, we had a number of different responses from folks asking some variation of, I want better knowledge setting ground engaging tools. Uh, there were comments around Furrow Force, there were comments around Delta Force, there were comments around uh, Furrow Creation in general. So, um, in lieu of having a 14 hour podcast where we dive into each of those individually, I have decided that what we're going to do is focus on three of our products and talk about what is the standard setting, what do I look for to evaluate them, and then what would be the next step if the standard setting, and I'm I'm using air quotes here, doesn't work. So, if you guys are willing to walk down that path with me, the first place that we want to start is with Reveal, okay? So... Can anybody tell me or walk me through what is the standard setting with Reveal?
3: Yeah, and I I think we really got to quantify here what your tillage operation is as well, right? Uh, We got to start off, are you in that no-till? Are you in the cover crop? Are you in a a strip-till? Each one of those dictates a different standard beginning stage where I'm going to start. Now, for many of the dealers, they already have in their, what I call their back mind, where we're going to set this for every grower, because we kind of know the grower's operation. But the challenge becomes now, when that standard doesn't work, where do we go? So, the question starts to come, you know, if, if I'm getting in, am I getting the depth of penetration with my, with my tines on my row cleaner is part of that question, Right. So where do I have my wheel set? Where do I have the depth of the time? Because those are independent, and uh, I I can't assume the grower knows how to set that correctly.
1: How many of those are set halfway correct before they go to the field? Ken, like just as we talk through this, like a lot of times these are set in the shop before they take off. What's what if you're if you're giving some advice on where would you set this for for going to the field? Um,
3: well, we, we know the average grower is going to be, what, that inch and three-quarter to two inches deep on seed. So we want to go at least about an inch and a half if we could with my depth of my time. As far uh, as ground engagement. As far as ground engagement. But, uh, you know, if I'm in a no-till, I really don't need to go that deep.
1: You want to sit more on top of it. Sit than more new- on
3: top. You're just trying to clean off the top because I don't have what I call that in- integrated or that uh, worked-in stalk scenario at that point.
1: What pressure would you recommend these guys run at? If they're going if you're gonna go to the field and set air pressure, what's the standard? What would you expect guys to start their air pressure at?
3: Yeah, it, it really depends upon what my I always say your soil and my soil, in definition of your soil and my soil is different, right? Uh, the harder the soil, the the more air pressure it's going to take, the softer the soil. So do I have a, a heavy loam? Or am I sitting with the sand? Am I sitting with, with uh, what I call my heavy clays or my light clays? So understanding what I call the clay content. So we talk a lot about our sand silt clay mixture, but uh, that also affects how hard that soil becomes as well. And am I am I in my first field in the spring because I'm gonna be much more mellow than after I've had a bunch of pounding rain
1: sitting on top of it and hard. Your I think the interesting thing you call that was hard can mean different things for different growers. Right. What you say is hard in a clay is different than a hard in a sand, which is where you're getting to the, the difference in, in soil structure.
3: Correct. Correct. We run into that a lot. I got some soils will, I mean, it's, it's like a roadbed. bed. Uh, so, so that scenario is is much different than my grower. You know, I, I'm blessed with the fact that I have a lot of black black soil. Uh, does not compress near as easy it's almost to where I can get into some mucks and it's it's
0: trying still to float okay. yeah,
3: so we can run anywhere from twenty to to fifty pounds
0: depending and still home. not be too heavy still not be too heavy so what's my evaluation look like if, if let's say just i'm I'm saying this because this is our order guide indicates that ninety five percent of conditions we would recommend starting with the tine wheel okay now again, that's a general recommendation, right? So for anybody who's listening who says, no, we can't start there. We always do. Okay. Understood. 95% of conditions here is, is we would generally use the tine wheel. So if I start there and now we have a uh, integrated coulter, right? But I'm going to say that the the standard, if you will, is the gauge wheel. So I have the gauge wheel and the tine wheel using these. If, if these are typical, What's my evaluation look like? What am I actually looking for post the reveal pass to know it's doing a good job?
3: Sure. I I think you got to start to look at that and say, okay, am am I getting to the depth that I'm trying to achieve? Okay. So that's, that's the first thing I'm looking at. But uh, to your point, if I'm in a strip till, if I'm in a conventional, uh, I'm expecting to have very little residue risk at that stage. So all I'm trying to do is lightly pull and move residue out of the way.
2: I might add too. Then on we put reveal on our planter uh, a year and a half ago, and we run mainly on strip till. And uh, one thing will change is the the depth on that gauge wheel based on you know how high are our strips that spring. How how much movement does it take? If I'm just moving a little residue, how much does it take for me to move that to get level with the uh, with the surrounding area without creating too much of a too much of a divot? And if if those strips have really, really sunk down, you know, I might not move as much if if they're mounded over quite a bit. And with, that's
1: um, and that's dependent on the weather of the winter as yeah. to how high your bed yeah. was.
2: Yeah, yeah, because su- some you
3: know, a- a- and by the same token, we've sat here this winter with some pretty heavy frost in some areas. Uh, that that's going to mellow out soil until I get my hard beating rains. Yep. So I'm expecting pretty soft conditions this type of a year. Sometimes we get those those heavy march rains, and at that stage you're starting kind of behind the gun that it's pretty it's going be hard pretty hard to begin with
0: so I remember somebody explaining to me reveal you know when we first came to market with it, and that was one of the things that I think a, a grower actually was at a farm show said well you know the 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 depth adjustment of the gauge wheel why would you want it so that your tines are deeper than the gauge wheel?" I think for him, he probably had always used a row cleaner that was just intended to move debris out of the path of, of the gauge wheels, right? I think what you called out, Tristan, is basically that that would be an instance where I actually want to do some light tillage yeah. with those tine with those wheels. I actually want to try and knock down any, for lack of a better term, humps of dirt that would give me a flat path. It's not just about moving the debris out of the way, but a flat path for basically my gauge wheels and row unit to come yeah, through. Yeah, so to
2: Ken's point, the the tillage program I worked with the fall in, if I use tillage at all, what I've done this past spring, what kind of winter I've had, it really and and what how am I coming through with my planter It all factors into the the preparation for, you know, the the opening disks uh, right after it. Um, it really plays into it.
3: Yeah, and to this point, you know, we we also got to have the conversation is if, is I look at every field, and I always make the statement, everybody kind of laughs at me, but 80% of the field is really in pretty nice conditions when I plant. But there's 20% that's a little damp. And I, I use the example that your definition of damp, my definition of damp is different. I use the example that my definition of damp changes whether it's April 1, May 1, or June 1. <laughs> okay? <laughs> So, so, and and, and we all know that when I'm looking at whether, you know, here we are with Reveal, we're talking closing wheels, we're going to talk down pressure, but we know that that's a different scenario in the damp areas than what it is in my dry areas. So, let's let's make sure as we're evaluating, and, and the second question I have to ask is, which part of the field are you in? Okay, and I also make the statement that I know if I've been in the fields for five days, I'm probably much drier conditions than the first day I started. So this isn't necessarily a once and done. I can run all season. It may be, but I may have to make this change after I've been in the field for two or three days when ground conditions are changing.
1: So you're saying the standard setting may not be the standard setting across the whole for the whole day. Over the whole year.
3: It's it's probably gonna be for the whole day unless we're pulling into radically different soil types, but not for necessarily for the whole year. Good point.
0: I think and I don't know why this just came to me, but I, I think what we probably need to start to, to have here in a mindset shift and as we go through each of these products is rather than referring to these as the standard setting, we need to probably think of them as maybe the starting day setting. one setting. Yeah. That's the mindset shift here we probably probably need to have. Okay. So now that we've kind of got an expectation, I, I think the big things that I kind of heard here that I'm looking for is have I moved the debris from off off the top of my field basically or my row unit pass out of the way and have I basically created a, um, a relatively flat substrate or surface to plant into, right, for my opening disc to cut into. Um, so I'm going to move into maybe some complaints that we all kind of thought of that could happen here, that could require an adjustment, right? Something that would cause the standard setting to not work and then talk through maybe the next step or a tool in our toolbox that we can move toward here. So number one, I'm going to say maybe the complaint is standard reveal setting is plugging with stocks. Ken, I know you have some thoughts on this, so I'm going to kick over to you. Where do you take that, that comment?
3: Yeah, the, the, the first question we have to say, is the wheel really riding on the ground after I've cleaned? So it, I'm really asking where is that plugging taking place, right? Am I pushing because I don't have it riding on the ground that I just haven't totally engaged the row cleaner correctly? Or am I at the other side where I'm actually trying to run too much down pressure and uh, – you know, am I, am I throwing residue into another row? Where's that residue coming from that's causing the plugging issue? And, and, and that comes back to, am I really on the 30-inch spacing, 36s, 20s, 15s? I mean, you pull out the number, right? Uh, these are the things we have to understand. First off is, how far am I throwing residue? So, Basically, the faster I run, so if I'm running a 10 mile an hour planner, it's a different ask and a different uh, chase than if I'm running a four mile an hour, five mile an hour planner.
2: The other question I would maybe ask is where where is this plugging taking place? Is is it throwing it into the gauge wheels, and we're plugging at the gauge wheel location, or am I am I plugging reveal itself? Is it stalks getting wrapped around the wheels? Is it plugging behind the wheels in front of the, the gauge wheel? The location that the, the physical plug happens is a, is a big part of diagnosing the, the root cause as well.
3: Yeah, and, and to your point there, Tristan, uh, I, I ran into a case where we were actually throwing the residue into a conceal that had a, a spoked outer wheel. So we were actually plugging, starting there, and then pushing forward with that residue.
1: That looked like it was a, re- a reveal issue. It
3: looked issue. like a reveal, but it really was not, okay? Uh, it was just the fact that either I needed to go to a setback, I needed more of a stagger, or I needed to, to understand that, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we make this adjustment change to be able to keep from throwing into that row.
1: So, Ken, you've mentioned several good things of, of one of the, trying to identify what is the specific issue that they're running into and the variables that go into it, row spacing, amount of residue, tillage practices, even probably a good question would be what time, what wheel are you are we running on this? Uh, whether that's the dealer or the customer, whichever way that is, you need, uh, want to understand what they're running and what the, the situation is. What are some of the adjustments that you would recommend kind of as you look at some of these different scenarios? What would be some of the, re- the adjustments that you would recommend? Is that a narrowing the gauge wheel? Is that adding treader wheels or changing time? What, what are some of the adjustments you would give a guy that's struggling with something
0: like this? Well, can we start with if we are flinging residue into another row, into a neighboring row, where, where do I go from there? Yeah, so,
3: th- so then we have to keep in mind I have to, th- I have to throw less distance, right? So either speed's a part of that or my shims, I need to change the angle that that wheel is going to run at that point.
1: So flatten it out from a a hard, basically go to the narrow row setup type of way.
3: Correct. So I I like it to run, especially if you're telling me you have a lot, if you're going into a lot of corn with corn, right? Because I know you got a heavier scenario than if I'm going into a, a soybean stubble.
1: Does that make a big difference when you go between thirties and twenties and even 15s? How do you handle that narrow scenario? If you're getting a fifteen row or a fifteen inch planter on heavy corn stalks, what's your what do you think is some of the best options for these guys if they're going to deal with lots of corn stalks in a narrow row setup?
3: Yeah, and, and probably more more questions coming up at this stage because now I need to understand. I really like my narrow row setting, okay, even if I'm in in a twenty, but my risk becomes. Uh, what is my gauge wheel right? So, so how far? How much clearance do I have? Actually,
1: need to get the organ down, get everything
3: through, right? Uh, I, if I got hydraulic downforce, which I'm going to assume you do, but I got to be careful when I assume, right? Yep. Uh, so if I'm just on a stock planner and I have airbags, I'm going to struggle to go to a three-inch gauge wheel. But I love three-inch gauge wheels. I think everybody should be running them.
1: On a hydraulic downforce scenario.
3: Because of hydraulic downforce. We can we can manage that, and that gives me more clearance space. And, it allows me to throw my residue beyond with my narrow setting that I don't have to worry about any running over residue, which increases and helps all about row unit ride.
0: You mentioned shimming. We have a shim kit for reveal. I think the best way that I can kind of explain that is if you're throwing debris over into a neighboring row, Basically, if you put your hands down on a table and held them both at a 45 degree angle, to me, essentially what you're trying to do is, okay, I think about this a second, uh, increase that angle. You're moving your hands closer to a 90 degree position to the table. And so you're, you're almost bringing them, the tops of my cleaning wheels together. And by doing that, you, you may get a more vertical throw, but you're not getting as much of a horizontal throw, which can put that into another row.
3: It's back to understanding what I call the bulldozer effect, right? The more we, we tip our blades, the more we angle our blades, uh, the, the less distance we're going to throw, especially as we speed up on a lot of these high-speed planners.
0: Very good. Uh, the next one I'm going to move into, we kind of covered a couple of them there, which was good. The standard reveal setting is leaving a trench. Um, Hans, what does that mean? So generally what I've taken, you got to ask a little bit more of a question what he's actually referencing, but
1: generally what that that comment means is that they're trending. they're they're creating a a divot basically in the ground they've got their normally this comes back to they've got the gauge wheel set too high time wheels are too low they got too much engagement out of it and they're actually creating um they're carving out a four or a nine inch wide trench in the ground that the road unit is riding down in and so they when they get done they've actually got a divot across the ground that will hold a bunch of water with it um, is generally what we run into when you see that. Now, Ken, you might have a couple other things around that, but that's generally what that trench scenario that we run into um, is what they're referencing when they're... But that, I'm trying to think what other questions I would ask around that.
3: Yeah, and, and we've had the scenarios where, you know, back to our earlier conversation where if I've worked my ground a little damp, quote-unquote, and I've ran that with a field cultivator, now I have clods, we may be actually trying to set down and move clods out of the way. And I ran into last year with the extreme dry scenario in the spring, we actually tried to move dry dirt
1: out of in, the, way so, you out get of the have, way. so you actually get down to moisture to get it down.
3: So we, we actually set it into a trench for that reason, because if, if I'm getting late in the season, I don't have rain on the horizon. My risk is I don't want to put it in dry dirt. So it's not my first choice, but sometimes we have to do things as a management tool that we got to make that decision.
0: So Hans, what it made me think of, kind of when you were talking there, is is trench is probably what we hear, but you're almost basically gouging yep. the ground at that yep. point. Yeah, yeah. Well, so and or well,
1: plowing. It's often called as plowing. Yeah. I mean, the other way guys would describe it that way.
0: You're you're almost back to some of the challenges, if you will, of a fixed row cleaner. Correct. Right? When you get yeah, yep. okay.
1: And the idea is that I mean, if you're trying to accomplish that, that's one thing, um, which is great, and you can actually use Re- reveal to do that because you're riding on a gauge wheel. You can set that that control fairly correctly. Um, If you're having dealing with the fixed brook cleaner, you get the fun of it's a plowing on one end and it's not touching on the other end. So, um, but that's the, the concept behind of creating that plowing trench with it and somewhat of a, it can do what you want it to, if you're actually trying to do that.
0: Yeah. So I think there, the takeaway is to Ken's point, it could be something that I want. If it, if it moves a top layer of soil that is dry to get me to moisture Or if it's not something I want, that would probably lead me toward the direction of I probably need to lighten up my uh, gauge wheel setting. I I need to not let the tines engage with the ground quite so much.
3: Majority of the time, that's the direction we're going to look at, right? Because my assumption is or my risk is if I get a heavy rain, that dirt comes back over the top of the row. We've now changed the depth that we planted inconsistently.
0: Okay.
1: The, The other thing I want to call out a little bit on this, and Ken, you can touch on this a little bit, but... Um in the past, one of the things that we used with that was what we called a treader wheel. On a conventional row cleaner, a treader wheel helped prevent us from getting too deep in that scenario. Um, Reveal has a treader wheel as well. It's used slightly differently because of how we have that set up. It's another level we can pull, Um, but it wouldn't necessarily be. It's not as much for trenching or creating a trench issue. It's because we're can have we're riding on the gauge wheel on the back side of it. But it does make a difference when we talk about moving residue and keeping residue down on the – down. That actually – the trailer wheel is, a, is another lever. It'll just roll it over. It rolls it out it. instead yeah. of throw it in the air it, because we're sitting on top of – it basically pins the residue to the ground before the tine hits it and then keeps it and moves
0: it rather than throwing it up into the air. So most commonly I'm going to see that in like a heavy
2: cover type or tall cover? Or-
1: uh, it, it can be anything realistically. I mean any type of scenario, if you get – so what corn happens, on corn, corn or a
2: heavy yep. corn residue is a great place. the great comes. place where you start
1: to see dirt start to rooster tail off the top. It, it kind of gets elevated when it comes off the wheel if you don't have the, the tread. When it comes off the tine, the dirt starts to get elevated in the air rather than staying down and moving. Because it hits the middle of the wheel, if it's up high, it hits the more of the hub. Well, that doesn't move as much dirt and residue because the diameter of the disc is bigger. And so it actually needs to hit closer to the tine wheel so it actually gets moved out of the way. And moved off to the side of the road rather than just fly, basically it'll slide around it if it hits it in the middle of the disc.
3: Yeah, and to that point, I really like my treader wheels in almost all conditions. And and here's here's the other piece of it that we haven't even discussed is if I have a treader, my residue doesn't get quite as fluffy. So think this through with me. If I'm going to plant and and, and and what am I trying to do? I want a nice bare strip. I want that to warm up quickly. I don't want my residue to come back over the top of it. And we've all made this pass where we know that we get a nice sunny afternoon, 60 to 5 degrees, and all of a sudden we get a nice 10, 15 mile an hour wind. If I've gone through standing bean stubble, we pushed it aside. If it's puffed, you know, puffed up, so to speak, it can actually move back over the top of my where I had just made the pass. So I cleaned it the day I planted, but a day later now it looks like you got residue laying back over the top of your row. It's called the
1: eraser wind. It erases any trace that you've been in the field. It just rolls everything right back across it again.
0: So you're saying in that situation, if I start with the treadle wheels, I kind of, if you will, move it and mash it down. You do. And keep it down so it doesn't get fluffy. Wind won't catch it as easy when you get done with it. Okay.
3: That that's why, as a whole, I
2: like it in almost every condition for that very reason. Yeah, the only reason you might not want it is if you really do need to make a big gout gallant- If right. that's the you're only time a, scenario that we've seen where
0: you don't need yeah. it,
2: you're in a five percent scenario at yes. that point. Yes.
0: So let's say standard reveal is not moving everything out of the way. That's a little bit vague, but what comes to mind when you guys hear that comes? A real I think the first thing in my mind. Can
1: you correct me? But the, what conditions are you are you in? Are you in a no-till condition and you've got really high residue? You're trying to move a bunch of residue out of the way? Or is this you're in, you've are you got tillage and you've got washouts or something like, like something that you're high or a mixed residue with soil, or is it clumps of residue you can't get moved out of the way because it's a clump of six inches of residue, and then the rest of it's consistent um, from like a flooding issue or something like that? That's kind of the questions I want to I know. What type of residue are you in? that you're saying you can't get moved.
3: I, I run into this a lot in my cover crops. Let, let's be honest about it. Uh, and and then the second question has to be, so everybody's definition of cover crop is radically different. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it's six feet tall and you're <laughs> going through green cover, that's different than if it's, uh, you know, eight eight to ten inches tall. How well is
2: that root system established? Exactly. Have, you, have you killed it off yet? All those kind of things make a big difference.
3: And, and, and I've got a lot of covers that I like it of what I call a 35, 45 pound uh, rye or something like that. It's not real thick. Now, yeah. if you're going to go out and run some 75, 80 pound rye and you're going to let it get knee high, uh, you know, first thing I'm that's, a start, harder to, that's a lot it, harder it's to clean. a lot harder to clean, right? So, do I have the right wheel? Do I need the tine wheel or do I need that bevel cut wheel, right? I mean, we, we, got, we got a reason why we offer different wheels.
1: Kim, what's your best – I'm going to interrupt you. What's your best recommendation for when you need the time wheel versus well, the blade or the, the bevel cut? What's your best right, – shark style?
3: Yeah, I, I really recommend anybody in a no-till or a cover crop. If, if you're telling me you're 100% that direction, I don't see much need for a tine.
1: Okay. You're going to cut on top, you know, right on top of the firm soil profile, cut and slice and move stuff out of the way.
3: I call it the slice and dice effect, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, that that's what I'm trying to accomplish. So let, let's make sure we, we equip that grower for success to begin with.
0: Okay, I have a dumb question. A tine wheel, the tine is going to act more like a finger to actually move it. A blade is going to cut.
3: More so, yes. To tell you 100% no, I will not make that statement. But across the board, that is our whole target, right? I love tines in, in a conventional. I love it in a strip till. Uh, I like it in a, a, a vertical till. But uh, once I start crossing the line, and, and, and now the challenge becomes. So I got a grower that's seventy five percent no till and twenty five percent
1: conventional till. Conventional.
3: Uh, I'm I'm going to air probably more so with my with my my, my razor style, my shark tooth style type of bevel cut wheel at that stage.
1: The risk of running a bevel cut shark's tooth wheel in a conventional tillage environment is that it is going to try to move everything that it contacts with. So it's really easy to get that. It's not picking anything it's out. It's not picking anything out. So if there's soil mixed with, with residue, it's moving all of it out of the way. It's going to create a big, if you want to trench something, it will trench something very quickly. It'll be a nine to 10 inch wide, two inches deep trench when it gets done with it. No, as it composed to a finger that'll sift through residue more. Um, slot a spoon
0: versus a versus a knife is, yeah. a, is a is a good way to describe it because those tines are, for lack of a better term, skinnier than what they are on the blade. Basically, they f- they the bigger between. components are what's going to get yep. kicked out of the way. Yep, the smaller components are going to sift to the bottom. Yep.
3: Okay, I can. I, I like tines, but tines will let dirt fall through it, and that's really what I'm looking for, right? In a
0: conventional till a
3: conventional in a strip till, uh, both of those scenarios, I like that.
0: All right, gentlemen, we're going to switch gears and go to Delta Force. Let's talk about our downforce settings. When I get out and I evaluate if I'm doing a good job with my downforce setting, what am I looking for?
2: I mean, he, loads, th-
1: he has loads of loaded questions, doesn't he? Man, <laughs> this is a loaded question.
2: <laughs> I mean, the first thing we always think about when we think, am I doing a good job with my downforce system? Well, what state do I need to be in to evaluate that? And when the closing system comes through and, and wipes out that trench, now all of a sudden it's in a, we're in a much harder environment to analyze our what kind of job our downforce system is doing. And so I mean my first step, I want to pin up that closing wheel. i want to I want to hang that up so I can actually evaluate for a, a longer stretch what my uh, what my downforce system is looking like.
1: I think it's interesting that the fur one of the furrow force engineers yeah, furrow, that made it really easy to evaluate closing and and furrow creation is the one that made that comment. I, I agree with you, Chris Tristan, on that. And, so,
3: and to that point, why did we come with a lockup tool? We right did. That's
1: now. exactly why we built the lockup tools because we want to evaluate the for the furrow we, without be prior to a closing system. It's because just that because is like
2: furrow is a, force does such a great job, you know, we want to <laughs> we want to make sure we uh, can get that out of the way to help uh, analyze things happening up front. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> opportunity
0: to step aside and remind everybody that today. Today's episode is brought to you by Furrow Force. Furrow Force. <laughs> it, it,
3: it's an easy way to get forgiveness but I've screwed it up with the front yeah.
2: side. Well, can't solve so, all problems. Can't can't cover every multitude of sins.
1: Now that I adequately sidetracked us. Back to your yes. point, Tristan. Of I think you're 100 correct. Of, of and it's you made this question of the state, like even ground conditions across the world, across the, all over the U.S. and internationally. What is the condition that you're actually playing into that makes a difference on whether you are doing a good job? creating the furrow or not
3: yeah and, and, and i always say let, let's back up and go the other way uh, what am i really trying to accomplish when i talk about downforce right i mean all i want to do is all i'm doing is transferring weight from the bar to my closing wheels my or my gauge wheels my gauge wheels have to carry everything that i don't have on the front bar front bar is carried by the transport tires so how much do i need and I always tell everybody, just enough. How's that for a good answer? But <laughs> okay.
1: well, what's that just enough? I want a number, Ken.
3: Everybody wants a number. And and back to my point, it changes by the day. I know the first day I start, I'm going to have a whole different setting than by day four, day five, that I'm still planting corn. And as soon as it rains, I'm back to my day one because I know you're all going to push the window and go in a day too soon. <laughs> okay? Okay. So, what does it really take? And and I always tell everybody, up to the point where I get sidewall compaction, it doesn't hurt me too bad. How's that for a, a loose answer
1: of saying of of adding weight of adding weight? So I can carry, I can keep it adding weight to the gauge wheels up roughly up into the where we get to slicking or adding compaction to the sidewall to,
3: till I smear off the sidewall. So I find that point, and then I want to back off. X amount of pounds. Is that 10? Is that 20? Is that 30? Somewhere in that neighborhood, right?
1: Okay. Question that. I agree with you. What's the, how do I determine what that compaction looks like? How do I see that compaction and say that's too much because that just slicked the sidewall? What's the determining factor that makes me say that looks like I slicked it?
3: In the old days, before we really chased the delta force, what we were telling everybody, you look at your gauge wheel imprint and how, how does that look? And I always make the statement, if I'm driving down the highway and I can look in at your field as you're planting and I can see your gauge wheel strips through that field, hey, you got a problem, okay? So, uh, yeah. and, 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 and to your point, everybody wants this standard, okay? And, and, and i got to make the statement, standard in dry conditions is different than standard in a damp condition. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that is I can set it to, and you you pull out the number. We're all used to margin. We talk about, you know, I want that 100 pounds. Uh, I, I can show you that in the right conditions, that 100 pounds could be too much. But I can show you that if I'm totally dry, I can run up to 130, 140 and never have an issue because I have not smeared the sidewall. So the right question is how much does it take to get... Down pressure, to, to, to keep my down pressure so that my gauge wheel is always in contact with the ground conditions 100% of the time. We know that the higher I run, the greater the row unit ride. Ride wins with, with, with panorama. I don't know if you guys are chasing your maps yet, but if you're running panorama, I can show you very specifically that ground contact is a huge issue with yield. Okay, now find out where I need to be, and then I'm going to back off. And, and that is a flexible number. Uh, ballpark for my growers in my area, I always say, I started about 70 to 90 pounds the first day in, in the field, and I'm going to slide on up day by day as I, as I get uh, drier conditions because those damp areas of the field are getting smaller, assuming this isn't the grower that had to hit the throttle to get through the damp area.
1: And then he okay. stays at 50 for another couple of days, and then he adds it to 70. <laughs>
3: exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and so you're saying this is the guy that's was well, is this the guy that's on May 5th 1st, or is this the guy on June 1st? Ba-
3: back to that scenario, right? <laughs> so they, these are the things we got to chase. And, and I really – I use the gauge wheel imprint a lot. But I really have to verify that with what's the sidewall look like.
1: And that's the condition of what it looks like. And then also, like, how easily does it crumble when you poke on it or, or navigate with it? Do you manipulate it and see how well it crumbles in?
3: You know, we think this is so important. Why do we spend every summer up at PTI teaching this, right? Uh, and, and, and the other side of this is with smart with SmartFirmer, we're looking at what we call uniform furrow. We're looking, have I ripped my soil with my disc opener, and I love with Cornerstone, where we're going with 11 and a half degrees, we're going to start helping these types of scenarios. And I always tell everybody, you'll never be right all the time. So when I'm wrong, how do I get forgiveness? So we're headed into the furrow force, and, and, and I, can, I can solve a lot of those problems with the right closing wheel system. But some closing wheel systems, if, if, I have, if I'm incorrect, there's no forgiveness
2: to the incorrect downforce. Hans, what's your tool of choice for poking a sidewall? Are you a pocket knife guy? Are you a putty knife guy?
1: Well, I always have my leather one with me, and that generally has my pocket knife. That's generally the first thing I pull out with me. I, the pocket knife is – if I'm really going to do it right, it should be a digging tool, but I don't have that with – I somehow have Seems it in like the – tractor. it's
2: missing from the tractor.
1: It's, or it's in the tractor in a drawer, and I don't think I'm going to go dig when I get out to go evaluate. I get out to check something else, and then wind up digging.
2: So that's why I love p- pinning up the closing system to uh, – it gives If if I leave it down, I have to just analyze the, the short gap between the opening disc and the gauge wheel and the closing system. It's not a lot of room to There's stick not that a pocket <laughs> knife down in there. So really pinning up that closing system, getting a nice good stretch to come through and poke at those sidewalls to see how well it crumbles. is. That's why I really like being able to pin those up yeah. quickly.
1: It, it, and it actually makes you consciously thinking about what you're doing as, as well as anything else. You're focused on trying to evaluate that furrow.
2: And don't
3: forget here back to our earlier conversation about soil types is a piece of this, right? So my black soils, I can be wrong by 20 30 pounds and have less of an issue than my grower that has what I call my lake bed heavy clays, uh, if if they if they compress soil in at that stage, now we've got a real issue because it'll turn
1: into concrete at that point. They've squeezed all the water. Their ability to squeeze water out or squeeze air out is very easy. Yes, and, and it's different than what a heavy, high organic matter, almost like a peat type of scenario is.
3: And we talk about this at every planter clinic, right? When I'm looking at your soil density, you're 50% raw soil, you're 25% of a pocket of either moisture or air. When that ratio changes, and, and that's really what we're chasing here, is so if I'm 35% of those air pockets and in, in the rest of it is water, that's a different answer than if I'm looking at it. You know, last last spring, I had a lot of growers struggling. Uh, we, we were around 150, 180 pounds of, of down pressure because we had the capability because it was totally powder dry.
0: Let's say I get the complaint of I'm in the standard setting, which, by the way, by means of the 2020, I'm thinking of standard being 100 pounds just because that's where you start and that's what standard is labeled as. Okay. But let's say uh, standard setting is leaving shallow planted seeds.
3: Yeah, and, and, you know, we we got to start chasing this. Uh, uh, d- let me just back up T- to your point of standard setting, right? I always tell everybody that is a really great hired man setting, okay?
2: <laughs> and, 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 the the and, grandpa setting. And, and my
3: point is, if you're a manager, you need to be making that call as I'm driving through the field, okay? There's a reason we have auto steering, that's so I can do a better job of management, But if I have a guy that doesn't want to do that. I can't watch YouTube
1: videos while I do that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I am so sorry. That's for the tillage tracker. (laughs) But, you know, back to your point on my shallow planted seeds. First off, I have to ask, is dry dirt falling down into the trench? So it's back to understanding trench creation. Is that affecting this? Or is it just the fact that I did not get to depth? And, And the second piece of this is, planter clinics, we talk about what do we do? We have to make sure we've done the block test. And, and you guys in product support have done that here at Winter Conference a number of times. And, and, and how many times do I ask guys, I want to show a hands, how many guys have done the block test? And it's still less than half. Okay. So you've, you're assuming wrong things to begin with if you haven't verified these items first off. Okay. And that's not even counting the fact if I didn't have my gauge wheel shimmed correctly. Now we're letting dry dirt fall down in the trench. Huh, I wonder why I have uneven emergence huh, it's because we have uneven moisture huh. it, it's it's all these combinations right so it, I'm going to tell you at the end of the day if I have shallow planted seeds it is 90% chance it is not a a down pressure issue unless you haven't gotten to depth
1: if you're not if you're showing that you're losing ground contact if I'm showing
3: I'm losing ground contact okay? Yeah. And, and, and I'm running into this, especially last year where I had a lot of dry conditions. My older planters, where I didn't have enough bar weight, we were floating bars.
1: And so you were still losing ground contact. And it wasn't a downforce issue in the context that Delta Force mm. wasn't doing what it was supposed to. It physically couldn't do what maxed you were out. asking. You. It was maxed out. Correct. So, Ken, as we talk through this, then that leads us to more of a planter maintenance scenario that's causing my loss of ground or shallow planted seeds. And you're pointing to you're saying gauge wheels. What else would you look for? Just some top higher levels. I know we can spend we've spent hours on talking downforce or planter maintenance. But what are some of the quick things you would have a guy look for if he's saying I'm getting ground contact, but I'm still getting shallow planting the seeds with Delta Force?
3: Yeah, you know, and 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 we didn't even address the fact: Do I have my my bar height correct? Right? Is Is, that, is, is it that, tipped forward or tipped is it back? Tipped forward or backwards? And and we run into this a number of times as well. So those are the, those. You know, we gotta assume those are correct, but I gotta be careful when I assume. So back to this now. Now that I have shallow planted seed, did I get to the depth I had it set at? That's the real question.
1: And, and that's a checking disc openers, making sure that you actually were were that you are hitting actual depth. Then or been checking your gauge wheel settings. Correct, correct.
3: And and I've actually seen where sometimes growers, uh, especially in my rock country, where we've dulled up what I call blades. So even though we may still have 14 and five-eighths or more for for distance in my blade, we may have lost the whole sharp edge, so we're, we're really struggling. It's taking more actual down pressure to get into the ground.
1: Just to get it to target. To just get to, it hit. to target
3: depth. Yeah. Okay, So and, and the real question is, am I getting what I have it set for? And if not, why not?
0: Tristan, are you ready to talk uh, yeah, closing systems? It. All right. What am I looking for? If I get out and I evaluate my closing system, what, um, what's good closing look like?
2: Yeah, so I mean the the most ideal scenario you can have when when closing closing the furrow or closing the trench is when you when you go to dig and when I when I dig I, I like to uh, dig in line with the planter start start fifteen feet behind the planter and and dig up to, to 10 feet, just kind of keep working my way up to, to analyze how the, the, the furrow kind of looks uh, for what's remaining. And the most ideal scenario is that you can't even tell that a furrow was created, that someone went in and just plopped a seed two inches, inch and a half, three quarters of an inch, wherever you want it, um, into the ground without, uh, without any, any evidence of, of anything else being there. So that's the most ideal uh, scenario for how you're evaluating but, but when I'm digging, I'm, I'm typically looking, okay, is there an air pocket around the seed? Is, did, uh, is there dry dirt around the seed? You know, that can go back to uh, looking at our downforce settings to, to, to that point, but that's something I usually check out uh, while I'm at it. And then can I identify where the sidewalls uh, are of the trench? Uh, can I see sidewall compaction that was not blown out? Uh, by the, by the closing system. That's generally what I'm looking for. And then just how, how tight is the soil above the seed? How hard of a time is the seed going to have spiking up out of the ground?
0: My takeaway from that, when you say, you know, basically plopped a seed into the dirt, um, again, no air pockets anywhere yep. around. And I'm not looking for any kind of like, if you will, you know, it's surrounded by good moist soil yep. on all sides. I have no slabs of dirt that I can see, right? Correct. I have no shape to my dirt Correct, that I can clearly see a piece of metal that's. Let's cut through the ground, right? So I'm going to call the standard furrow force setting using two of the notched wheels. Yeah. Now, again, I understand a little bit of the, I don't know if I want to say danger here, but uh, we say on the order guide, notched wheels would be recommended for 95% of conditions. So I'm going to say that's my starting point. That's my standard. And we'll talk in terms of, like, an automatic control, which I think standard mode is, like, 30 pounds. 30 pounds of margin, yeah. Right? Okay. So, in that instance, let's say standard Furrow Force is not getting my trench closed. Where, where would you go from there?
2: Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that Furrow Force needs to work correctly is, if you've got your front two wheels, your, your uh, notch wheels in this case, the, the goal for them is to lift and fracture the uh, sidewalls, uh, beyond the sidewalls, and lift and fracture that soil, and then that second stage would come through and, and close it down. And, and the way the wheels are shaped, is if they're in the ground at the proper depth, they will move the soil. That's just the, the mechanics, the physics of what's happening there. If they're at the right depth, they will move the soil. So typically what we see, if we're not, not closing the trench properly, it's that our, our disks are just not set to the correct depth. Um, we, we like to say that uh, we want that about a quarter to a half inch above our seeding depth so we're not moving seed. Um, but a lot of times what we see is, you know, we'll, we'll pull out into the field for the first, first field and we'll just put furrow force into the ground and then come back and see, oh, it, it didn't close properly. Well, the wheels are just way too high out of the ground. So we need to go back. Uh, we need to crank those wheels down and then have someone uh, walk by the side of the planter and analyze on the rings on the outside of the wheels, you know, how, how deep are we going uh, with those wheels, and let's, let's shoot for that quarter to half inch above seating depth. So that's, that's typically what we're looking for um, as we run. And you know, depending on your tillage practice, uh, that can, that can you know, change how you might analyze it, but uh, if you were just to pull out and set it down without moving, um, that might change where those discs could just land without pulling forward. That's really why we want to see it move through the field. You can do it at a couple miles an hour. don't don't let the tractor just drive off by itself. get 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 the farm hand or get your <laughs> your son or get your grandpa or someone to walk beside and uh, and take a look at where those rings are. Um, it's the best way to take a look at it. By the way, just for everybody listening, there is a document on the cloud that
0: walks through that that very procedure. Yeah, uh, so I would highly encourage everybody. I, I think it might actually be called. Setting the depth, like furrow force,
1: and uh, first or initial
0: setting of furrow force, first stage wheel yeah. setting, yeah, yeah or something along those lines. And but, I'll but even yeah. say for yeah, our
2: farm, just... we we've uh, we me and my dad worked on our furrow force uh, system uh, two years ago, pulled out last year, and uh, didn't realize because we had switched some load sensors around, we pulled out. This isn't closing quite correctly. Well, in the shop, we just didn't set all the the depth handles to the exact same. As the rest, because we had replaced a few load sensors, so that can it can happen to anyone, anyone including the, <laughs> including the designers.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, silly question for you. I've often heard the phrase over closing. We just talked about not getting the trench closed. Sure, right. And to me, that that you know, are one of the biggest next steps to take would be basically going a little little deeper, yeah. double checking, and make sure we have that first stage wheel set at the right depth. Um, what does overclosing mean? What does that, what does that look like?
2: So, like I said, the way furrow force is designed it, it, it just physically moves the dirt inward with the, with the first stage wheels. And so really, if you're, if you're overclosing in a furrow force context, you're, you're probably lifting the seed out of the ground. You're, you're, um, running way too deep. Um, it, might not look like too compacted but you're just moving too much soil and you're running running deeper than you need to.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's say I am moving seed. Yeah. Okay. What's the tool in my toolbox then to try and fix that?
2: It's it's the exact same tool as you had before. It's it's getting out to the side, it's analyzing as you as you walk by, checking the depth. Of those first stage wheels.
1: Can the alignment of ferroforce, if it's not centered, does that make a difference as well?
2: Yeah. So, so, uh, Ken, you can talk about maybe in the planter maintenance portion, but when I'm you know, doing my block checks, a great example you've probably talked about in the past is let's, for on a concrete slab, let's, let's lower the planter. Let's pull forward straight and see where our closing system's aligning behind the, the scratches from the disc openers. So, yeah, if, if furrow force can get offset or cockeyed or something, yeah, we could we could move seed. You can get
1: too close to the seed then and start correct. to move yeah. and actually get part of the soil profile moving correct. with
2: it. Correct. And to that point, why, why on Cornerstone did we bring you that option to be able to adjust that? It's, like we, it's
1: like we designed something
2: for it's, a reason. It's
3: almost like we've seen a problem out <laughs> yeah. there before.
2: And the, the funny thing is with any other closing system that rides on top of the ground, you just you just don't necessarily see that the seed has moved. We didn't uh, close
1: it right, but we
0: didn't see that. you correct. Correct. Is there ever an instance where I'm in light enough conditions or maybe even planting shallow enough that, you know, even if I back off the, the the depth setting of my first stage wheel that it may require me to go to a different wheel because it's just light, fluffy, flowable soil is is
2: Yeah. So a, a scenario where, like you said, the, the standard offering or the the most common offering we use is that notch wheel. We think it it chews up the sidewall and, and helps remove some of that compaction. Um, and and just helps leave a mellower path to the surface for, for 95% of guys. But if I'm in a scenario where um, planting soybeans at three-quarter inches or cotton at, you know, a half an inch to three-quarters of an inch, um, those notches are about an inch in depth. And so as that rolls through the field, we're just not moving. It's kind of like a tined, uh, a tined uh, reveal wheel. It's, it's picking soil. It's not moving it. So there, we would be in a in another underclosing scenario. We need that's where those smooth discs can, can be really helpful in mm. making sure we're moving that soil at a at a higher depth. Um, but of course, if we use that in a two inch planting scenario, now we might be smearing smearing our soil. So that smooth wheel is really intended for for our cotton growers and our, our shallow soybean shallow soybean growers
1: and dry conditions. Then
2: and some and you can get away with it in in drier conditions dry conditions. Yeah. If we in the same ways that we would analyze a uh, a downforce system, we want to take a look at the sidewall that's being created from from the closing discs and is that going to cause cause uh, compaction issues for our root system later.
0: Tristan, when I think about sidewall compaction, I can picture Hans out there with his pocket knife stabbing into the sidewall of a trench to see Leatherman. Leatherman. Yes. yes. Leatherman. Sorry. <laughs> Which brings us to our next Spot sponsor. Her. Thank you to Leatherman. No, I'm kidding. Um, how do I determine if a path is quote mellow for a seed to get to the surface?
2: Yeah. I mean, really mellow depends on a lot of, a lot of scenarios. So am I, uh, does the forecast show an inch of rain in the next two days? Does always, it, yeah. <laughs> Are you a glass half full or a glass half empty guy? There's a 10 to 90% chance. That yeah. Get yeah. And 0.2 it depends what inches. app you're using, who your local meteorologist is. <laughs> No, so I think I think one of the the things I'm I'm always looking at is if if I look at the forecast and it's it's 2 weeks until we see a, a rain, there's nothing on the forecast showing that I and I'm in conventional till I I might bump up to a heavier margin setting. I might pack that soil down and and mellow and that scenario means I'm staying dry. It's going to be mellow with a heavier setting. If it's if it's wet and it's um and there's more rain coming, and we're going to get a driving rain. You know, mellow might be. I need to back off and just let let Mother Nature keep that that soil mellow on the way up. So, um, you know, the the light, heavy, uh, medium settings on Furrow Force, just like Ken mentioned with with Delta Force. There's a host of factors that play with it. Not only the conditions at the moment, but what's what's the forecast look like? What uh, what tillage conditions am I in? Um, yeah, that that all kind of comes together.
0: Okay. Standard furrow force, or you could really even say furrow force at this point, but is leaving dry dirt in the trench.
2: So really, what what I'm what I'm going to look at there is I'm going to kick back to Ken and say I'm going to pin up my closing system and say Ken, can you come teach me about downforce again? Yeah, I
3: mean in, in my mind, it, it's it's confirmed to you. If if you're seeing dry dirt in your trench, either you failed in your your down pressure system, you failed in your maintenance or if i'm looking at my my disk my my first stage have i brought the walls together if i haven't brought them together then you have a risk you can let dry dirt fall down into that trench so that still could be a closing wheel scenario in my mind but you failed to get your 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 walls brought together so is that that's an angle in am my mind am i pushing
2: mind. it in from the top or am i actually oh, yeah. closing from the bottom right.
3: Correct. We, we, we talk about it, it has to be bottom up, right? And, and that's true of every closing system. Mm-hmm.
2: So that could come back
0: to, to depth. Oh, too, absolutely. Right? Yep. I, I could be too shallow with my first stage wheel, and I'm basically pinching off or closing the top yeah. of my trench rather than getting all the way down. Yeah,
2: some of the two the two big things, uh, you know, air pockets is the first evidence of not being at the correct depth, and then dry dirt would um, be kind of a second below that.
1: So, Ken, you're talking about the first stage. There's a lot of settings and spacers and hole positions and different configurations possible on FerroForce on the first stage wheel Yeah, what are some of the conditions that would prompt you to say the standard setting that we normally recommend guys to go to when you first install it needs to be changed to something slightly different than that configuration like what are you does this dry dirt scenario what are the conditions that you see run into that requires me to say I either need to move them closer together I need to move them further apart I need to get a bigger stagger pull them back together what are some of the settings that you would you would say on that or both of either one of you Ken or Justin
3: yeah i mean and i'm really back to understanding which part of the field am i digging in right if i'm in the dry conditions uh, th- then i got to say have i brought the walls together and, and and we we talk about where do i start and i always tell everybody, so i got a lot of my guys starting what i call the 2 and the 4 position right but I, I'm in fairly heavy rock country, so it's not unusual. Some of our growers, we're going to start at one and four or one and five if I have to. Uh, you know, I don't like to start there, but if, if, if I have what I call those fist-sized rocks, I know what my struggles are before I ever go to the
2: field. The, the risk always of, of changing that up is, let's say I want to really pinch and lift, then I need them a little closer together. If, I, if I'm worried about rocks and need more resi- uh, material to run through it, yeah, we'll, we'll move those wheels uh, forward and back. Get that, get that stagger.
3: Yeah, and and you know to that point uh, is the fact that am I running my my blade in the front to move rocks? It it does a nice job on bigger rocks, but the, those fist sizes my biggest issue that I deal with.
1: So rocks piece of it, but what about how close together you space them? How tight? Like we were normally run, what is it a, a bushing and three washers? Um, do you see a scenario where we, depending on depth that they're running it, or if they need to move them further? Closer so that, together It really or depends
2: apart. on how much, uh, how much material you want to move. Let's say I'm running a 3-inch gauge wheel, and I want to make sure I take care of the entire footprint. You know, I might run them at that, that standard setting. If I'm running a 4-inch and getting a good footprint, and I want to wipe that out, I might uh, grow them a little bit further apart. Um, and if I'm having a lot of trouble moving that much soil, um, then I might bring them closer together.
1: So if I was trying to run them really wide... To get, take that's, care of that profile, that's but I'm that still much getting, more
2: soil. You have to move. I might get um, an
1: air pocket at the bottom of it. Correct. At correct. that point, so moving them together could potentially help with an air pocket scenario. Yeah. Um. In addition to changing my depth to go with that.
2: Yeah. That would be the secondary thing to look at. But uh, yes, yeah. depth
0: is the first one. Yeah. Spacing could be a second piece of that. Correct. I think you made a great point before we started, I, Tristan. I think it was you that had basically said uh, there's a lot of different mechanical levers that we can pull or mechanical fixes that we have. I think the challenge really comes into, do you understand or can you find what is causing the problem? Um, cause I, the other one I have basically written down here is, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit is, but throw is plugging with rocks. So like Ken said, if I started at the two and the four, if that's standard uh, for anybody who's unaware, basically, uh, the, the piece of furrow force that you mount the wheels to has five holes on either side. Uh, so if you're in the second hole and the fourth hole, um, with the first stage discs, what Ken's saying is basically you, you can you can stagger those from one to five and allow more space for those rocks to actually flow through um, I get what else can be done there? I know we have shim kits. When would be an instance where I would use the shim kit? Would it help me with rock plugging?
2: Yeah, so I think the order of operations we tend to to look for is first, yeah, if we're struggling with rocks, let's do that extreme stagger put put the wheels in the first and the fifth position. Um, depending on the size of rocks. Let's bring either let's say it's all really large rocks and we want to bring those wheels closer together to try to ride over the really big ones, we might do that. If they're the fist-size ones, we might go out, uh, provide a little bit more room for, for material to flow through. After that, we can look at shim kits that changes the attack angles a little bit, and then you're starting to get into the trade-offs between, you know, closing action and uh, and then just efficiency of not plugging. Plugging so much, and then maybe uh, uh, going down the list a little more would be, you know, maybe the the smooth wheel that w- the dimple wheel that we would offer again, trading off between uh, material moved, closing action, and and efficiency of, of plugging.
3: Yeah, I think as we get into it, if if I have severe rock issues, I, I think the smooth wheel is a piece of that.
2: Yeah,
0: I will also call out too. I don't know if I mentioned this, but we do have a dozer blade that basically you can put in between those two first-stage wheels that will help to move, move those rocks. That, that is an option, too. But I think the first thing that we all kind of established here is, and this, Ken, sounds like this is kind of what you coach, is I'm going to that one-and-five position first. That, that would be my first line of defense there.
3: Okay. That, that, that is always the easiest. Now, keep in mind with that dozer blade, and w- we run that just about standard in, in my area, but uh, think through which rocks we're really trying to chase. So that, that's, that's the other piece of the question I'm always asking is, if, if it's a big rock, dozer blades take care of that. If it's not the big rock, I can't always – because if I set that dozer blade low enough, I'm actually going to push dirt at times.
1: Which could then lead to dry dirt in the furrow. Which,
0: which – which, right. I have a question, too, in terms of the, the mellow path kind of idea. So, okay, if, if I take this back to delta force, right, um, I would rather err on the side of compaction than not getting to my seeding depth, right? Yes, I understand that there's a there's a happy medium there, but if I if I ha- you had said Ken, I, I think, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but at a minimum, I want to make sure my gauge wheels are touching the ground, right? I want to make sure I'm getting to my planting depth.
3: We know shallow shallow planted is always a greater cost than excess. Yes, so we've all aired over the years for the last forty years, always too much.
0: Yes, is there a direction then with furrow force or with my closing that I would lean more than others? I understand i'm trying to i'm trying to get rid of any air pockets i'm trying to leave a mellow path but is there anything of what i'm looking for with furrow force that is takes a higher priority?
2: Does that make sense yeah, so again there's there's never a simple answer to these things, but uh it all depends on your uh the conditions you're in. If I'm in a if I'm in a clay, really tight clay soil, um, that's prone to when the sun comes out baking like a brick. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to be pretty risk averse to to over over closing uh, and pushing too hard with that second stage because uh, the 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 worst case scenario is the sun comes out and bakes my top layer if I've compacted it like like a brick. If I'm in in a lot of sand. Um, and my risk is, is not compaction, but it, my risk is drying soil out, then if I'm, I'm going to err on the heavy side. So, so it all depends on our soil types that we're dealing with and where my, my greatest risk would sit, not just for furrow force, but really any closing system. Um, it really depends on our soil types and our conditions that, that are in the future.
3: Yeah, a, a great area to talk about here, Tristan, because you know, my, my, my western Ohio soils, what I call the, the, the lake bed effect soil, they almost always struggle with they're going to replant if, if they overclose. Yeah. So we, we have to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. But uh, my, my sands, my northern Indiana sands, yeah, I could never compress soil hardly at that stage. So it's understanding your soil
2: type dictates different answers to all these different questions. And which side of the ditch can cause a disaster versus, you know, you can live with.
1: I think the other thing that we haven't talked about at all, but I think a lot of the things that we re- need to remember with Furrow Force is that it will close something in a field that you should have never been planting. And I've run across that multiple times where the conditions are such that you shouldn't be out there, but because Furrow Force allows us to close it, even though I shouldn't be there, we go ahead and plant it, and then we wonder why. It will why. move the dirt. It will move the death. dirt. It will close it if you said it right. It may not be in the right move for that day to be out there and doing that.
3: But to your point, I get a lot of forgiveness out of Furrow Force. I can I get a lot of forgiveness. You're else. correct.
1: <laughs> you are correct. But as we were talking earlier about mm, Furrow Force Rooster Tail, when you see that, that's a good day to be out there.
0: <laughs> Thank you once again to our sponsor, Furrow Force. <laughs> <laughs> Furrow Force, close everything behind the flare. No, I'm kidding. Okay. I think we have um, pretty well beaten this topic to death. But there's one more thing that I, I, I want to bring up. And that is, Hans, you actually brought this up. So, so credit to you. I think there is sometimes an idea in a customer's mind that because I'm auto adjusting furrow force and I'm auto adjusting delta force, the two might fight each other. Do you guys have any advice on how to talk through that maybe with a grower or, or pacify
2: their concern on that? Sure. So, so, I mean, I remember when we were first testing uh, the furrow force controls and we would go out and it's like, can, how fast can we make this? And, and, you know, we want it to be able to respond foot by foot as we go through the field. And where we left it is intentionally uh, a chunk slower than, than Delta Force. We, we know that when it comes to what drives yield, you know, depth is just so high on that list. We can't, we can't do a better job closing by pushing really fast on the, the closing tail and lifting the row unit out of the ground because Delta Force can't react fast enough. So Furl Force is really intentionally designed to be as fast as possible while still allowing Delta Force to maintain, maintain depth the entire time. So it was kind of architected hand-in-hand hand with, with Delta Force to allow it to respond quickly, but also make sure we didn't cause any train wrecks or, or even damage the ability of Delta Force to respond quickly to uh, to, to topographical changes in the field.
1: And I would uh, just add to that, then, if you're running for Air Force with an Air Force system, that's even li- you have another yet delay that would allow Air air Force to compensate for that. Um that type of like we can, you've got enough buffer with Air Force to come accommodate for an air, a Feral Force to change.
0: You're almost talking there though, in a manual setting, correct? Right? Yep, okay, yep, yep. Okay, cool. This was fun. Uh, it <laughs> as I expected, uh, Tristan, you asked a little bit ago, how long do these typically go? You know, we try to target the 35 to 45 minute range. This is going to be a little longer, That's but okay. what, when you've got yeah. this much wisdom in the room, you just you just let it go, you let it go, you see what happens. Uh gentlemen thank you all very much for being here. I appreciate it. I know you're busy. Ken, I know you've got planner clinics and monitor clinics coming up. Hans, you're Hans. I you typically run around product support answering questions. I'm try what do you do here? I'm trying. I've <laughs> asked myself that many
1: times. I keep getting that question. I still don't know how to answer
3: that the question some days. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He has the roofer's card. <laughs> See, he just covers everything everybody else has questions on. <laughs>
0: Just walking around here with a mop and a bucket. Just Pretty much. After us and support. No, I appreciate it. And Tristan, I know you're busy. I know you're doing a lot with with sprayers, with still probably Spring with. Spring will be here before you know yeah, it. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Thank you guys again very much for taking time out of your day and doing this. This is a lot of fun. I want to thank all of the listeners uh, for tuning in, um, for listening to Smarter Every Season. We appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback. If I didn't say this earlier, that's where the idea for this episode came from. So keep feeding us ideas. Um, smarter every season at precisionplanning.com is an email address. It will come right to me. It will come right to the other members of the podcast team. And we love your feedback. That helps us know what to talk about. So again, thank you all very much for listening. And we will hope to uh, bring you another good episode sometime soon.